You're listening to Seeking Change, the podcast where industry collaborates on eco-efficient minerals and made possible by the generosity of our sponsors and volunteers. In today's episode, we are joined by Seek International Director Grant Valentine and Technical Lead from Sepro Systems, John Forster, as we discuss their recent paper, Microwave Heating Behaviours of Ores and its Application to High-Powered Microwave-Assisted Comminution in Ore Sorting. Hello, everyone, and today we have John Forster, who is joining us from SEPRO. He recently won the SEEK Medal for Technical Research, so congratulations, John. Can you please start this by providing a brief overview of the paper that won? the key findings and the contributions to advancing sustainable and energy efficient practices in the industry. Thank you for the introduction, Grant. Uh, I'll begin just before I you know, get into the details of the paper, just going over why we did this work. So this was part of the Crush It Challenge, which was a challenge initiated by the Government of Canada in the fall of 2018. And the challenge was for a team to come up with a new way to save energy and comminution operations. So our approach was using microwaves for assisted comminution and or sorting. So that was the backdrop of this paper. And there was two different parts to this paper, bench scale microwave heating behavior of ores, where we assessed the heating behavior of 42 unique ores, followed by pilot scale microwave assisted comminution and ore sorting. And the main findings in the bench scale work is we were able to find out how well a material heats based on its mineralogy. And in particular, the amount of highly microwave amenable phases. So what I, what I mean by highly microwave amenable phases are sulfide minerals such as pyrite, pyrotite, pentlandite, chalcopyrite, molybdenite, and galena, just to name a few of them. They have very high dielectric properties. And when we did the mineralogy on these various ores, and figure it out what is the percent of these minerals within these ores, we're able to classify them into one of four heating behavior classes. So ores with less than 2.8% of these minerals, we regard these as poor microwave absorbers. Fair ores contain between 2 and 5%, good between 5 and 20%, and excellent microwave heaters had greater than 20%. The one exception to this finding was that Materials which are very high in sulfide minerals, massive sulfide ores, typically tended to reflect most of the microwave energy and therefore reported to a lower heating class. So after we did all this bench scale work, we were able to classify these ores and we decided to go ahead and choose specific ores for pilot scale test work. And of the ores that we decided to test on the pilot scale, one of the key findings we found was that Although there might not have been a reduction in the ore competency in the SAG design test as a result of the microwave treatment, many of the ores still realized improvements in the liberation of the valuable minerals. And this can be attributed to the microfractures that we achieve during the microwave treatment. And another key finding was that it was possible to use multi-sensor sorting, such as X-ray transmission in combination with infrared and X-ray fluorescence to either accept or reject rocks while maintaining high metal recoveries. And this translates to direct energy savings. Brilliant. Thanks for that, John. So 
you put these rocks in a microwave, just like a microwave that we have in our kitchen. Is that right? And what does the difference in heating actually mean? How does that create micro cracks or improve liberation or or how do you use that to do this sorting that you're talking about? For the bench scale work, yes, we're using the same frequency at 2450 megahertz as a typical kitchen microwave oven. The bench scale system that we used was rated for 3.2 kilowatts, whereas most household systems only go up to about 12 or 1600 watts. So it had much higher power. And what's happening with our microwave treatment of these ores is that the microwaves are selectively heating up the minerals that are very high in dielectric properties. And these minerals are encased in gang minerals such as uh, silica and other ores, other minerals that are high in magnesia and alumina. And because of this differential thermal expansion between our valuable minerals and our gang minerals, we're able to have fracturing along the phase boundaries. And this allows for improved liberation of our valuable minerals. Fantastic. And so you're doing this work in small microwave oven to start with, going pilot scale towards the end. How do you believe these findings and outcomes can be practically applied to the industry professionals to optimize the processes on, on site? That's an, a very good question. So with regards to how do we go from bench to pilot scale, after we've classified an ore based on its heating behavior on the bench scale, we can then ascertain which ores are going to be more suitable candidates for pilot scale test work. And what we found is that in general, the higher heating behavior ores are better for pilot scale treatment because although we don't realize very high temperatures given the very fast treatment times in the order of seconds, what we do have is very high heating rates during the pilot scale test work. And it is these ores that have these minerals that respond readily to microwaves that can microfracture uh, along the phase boundaries during the pilot scale treatment. So the next step is to come up with a scale-up factor from bench scale to pilot scale. Right now, if you look at other research papers and in, and in our own work for the bench scale test work, when we're carrying out these experiments, we use smaller rocks and smaller masses. Whereas with the pilot scale work, we're using much larger rocks and a different mass. So the future work is going to involve treatment at the bench scale and pilot scale using equivalent particle sizes and equivalent mass to come up with some sort of a factor. And is there any limitation on going bigger in terms of the size of the microwaves that you can that you can apply to the, the or the energy that you can apply through those microwaves to the ore? Is there any limit in throughput or do you think that the scale up is actually well known and can be done easily? There's definitely going to be limitations. So in the context of microwave processing, we're always interested in knowing what is the penetration depth of the microwaves into the ore. So ideal treatment would uh, involve treatment of rocks where the penetration depth is a similar size as the material being treated. But as we know in uh, mining, that is not the case. We have a heterogeneous feed where the particle size is variable, the mineralogy is variable, and the shape is variable. And of course, for some commodities, especially copper porphyry, which have very high throughputs, we might not get the ideal residence time at a preset power 
Therefore, we have to carefully manage what is the power density. And the power density is the amount of power going into the system divided by the volume. And given the right power density, it is possible to uh, come up with the process to allow for the microassisted comminution process. Uh, some commodities that we haven't yet explored that we're interested in are materials that are you know, very high value, but lower throughputs. We believe that this is going to be helpful in future studies and for industrial applications. So you tested 42 ores and some of them heated well, some of them didn't heat so well. Can you describe the range in reductions in energy that can be achieved? with those ores for, say, the reduction in comminution energy, the ability to be able to reject material using the sorting. What kind of quantities are we actually talking about here? Is it 50%? Is it 10% reduction in energy? This is a very good question, and it depends on the commodity. So in our work, we mostly studied the sulfide ores. And on the bench scale, we're treating these materials for very long periods of time, for several minutes at low power. And because of that, higher temperatures are going to be achieved, but the heating rate is not as high. In the literature, we've seen values upwards of 20 to 30% reduction in the bond work index. In our own work, we've seen values typically you know, 15 to 30%. But what we're interested in is not just the micro scale, but also the macro scale, because we want to be able to increase the grind size and downstream processing. So we did uh, SAG design tests. And what we found is that some of the reductions could be upwards of say 20 or 25% of the SAG work index for a microwave treated ore versus a reference ore that has not been microwave treated. And as I mentioned before, uh, some of the ores, although they did not realize a reduction or competency because perhaps they are soft at this macro scale, they can still reach an improvement in the liberation of the valuable minerals if we have the microfractures. Okay, so you're able to, to grind coarser in the combination circuit because you get improved liberation as well because of those fractures between the mineral surfaces. What about the ore sorting? So you heat up these rocks and then you look at it with kind of a heat gun and you work out which are the hot particles and you're able to eject them with air jets, as I understand it. What kind of rejection rates and recoveries are you actually achieving there? Because that material obviously then doesn't get into the combination circuit, so is is rejected early. It's important to note that for our study and the work that we carried out at SEPRA, we did a decoupled sorting approach. So we first sent off uh, selected rocks to Corum at their facility in Quebec City, and they conducted X-ray transmission test work on a monolayer of material. That material was then sent to SEPRO and we treated the sample with microwaves and then were able to capture the infrared heating pattern. Then each and every rock was individually crushed, pulverized, and riffle split and acid with X-ray fluorescence. So then we actually combined the X-ray transmission, the infrared, and the X-ray fluorescence data and put this into a proprietary sorting algorithm to either accept or reject a rock based on its density with respect to the XRT, the heating behavior was for the infrared, and lastly, the, the grade of the material based on the XRF analysis. And how the algorithm works is there's object detection, 
and segmentation, followed by rock analysis and sorting decision. And once again, depending on the commodity, this would produce a different reject amount. Uh, in one of our case studies, we were able to reject roughly one third of the material and achieve an upgrade ratio of the nickel of 1.5. So then you're removing kind of a third of that material that's in the right size fraction from further comminution. So that that has a further knock-on effect on the comminution power. That's that's brilliant. So how does this microwave heating differ from other non-mechanical breakage techniques? I'm thinking here of high voltage pulse or there's some people working on ultrasonic breakage. What's the difference between the microwave heating versus other non-mechanical breakage techniques? So with the microwave work, what we're doing is we're using the irradiation to selectively heat the valuable minerals. And this all has to do with what is the mineralogy of the material. But another important parameter, which is not often discussed, is the effect of the moisture content, which is not something that we've looked into a lot for these ores because they were mostly dry. Now, other techniques involve compressive breakage, and there might be some tensile fracture as well. Uh, with microwaves, we're actually getting both breakage uh, from the tensile and the compressive forces. But ideally, we have intergranular fracturing, so fracturing along the phase boundaries. But if we have overtreatment of the material or we have a material that has very few minerals uh, that are very highly microwave absorbing and we heat the entire uh, sample, then we're going to have a lot of transgranular fracturing, uh, which is not ideal. And so you've talked a little bit about the energy improvements that can be achieved. Do you have any comments on other sustainability aspects, say tailings or water reductions that might be achieved here by not putting that material into the combination circuit or, or achieving a coarser grind? Yes. So in our work, what we found is uh, the main benefits are in, in three key areas. There's the reduction of the ore competency in grinding. There's the improvement of the liberation of the valuable species. And in downstream processing, such as flotation, we can have uh, higher recoveries, the valuable metal. In leaching, we can have faster leaching kinetics. And we did not do this during the, the latest bit of test work, but in gravity, we could uh, realize improved upgrade ratios. So with our work, the third uh, key aspect for energy savings is being able to reject gang material before it goes into the mill. And if we can do this, that means there's going to be less material that is sent to the tailings and we don't need as large of a tailing storage uh, facility because typically gang material is harder than valuable material. And in the paper, you also talked about the selective heating of different mineral phases in the ore. Can you describe, well, you've already described a little bit about how that is achieved, but the potential benefits that that might be achieved. I know that high voltage pulse, they look at screening after the breakage occurs and they're able to get an upgrade for that. Has anything like that been looked at with, with microwaves? As for this, the selective heating, the theory is it all goes back to the dielectric properties and in order to optimize microwave treatment of ores, we need to know uh, the different parameters of a material. So these dielectric properties are understood by the real permittivity, which is how well a material can be polarized by microwaves. 
and the imaginary permittivity, which governs how well a material can dissipate energy as heat. So by measuring these different dielectric properties, we're able to figure out uh, which of these minerals are preferentially going to absorb the microwaves. And this difference in permittivities causes the differential thermal expansion and the fracturing along the phase boundaries. Whereas for high voltage pulsing, I do not think that this uh, sort of control exists. Um, we st we're still using this electrical energy for this phase boundary fracture, but it's not as selective as microwave treatment. Were there any challenges or limitations that you encountered during the research? And how were they, were they addressed? There was dozens of challenges. I wish I had time to <laughs> speak on all of them. I'll just address a few of them in the interest of time. Uh, we actually had the system commissioned at SEPRO in March of 2020, and we did some trial tests with water and then some some dummy samples. And we were starting our our pilot scale campaign in May of, of uh, 2020, and we had to finish everything by April of 2021. So uh, that was a very short time window. So setting up the system, coming up with a schedule for which tests are going to be done on a certain day. That was uh, you know, a very limiting parameter. And in terms of technical challenges, one of the main things in microwave processing is arcing. And this is actually not heavily described in the literature until recent years, most notably by University of Nottingham, who has done a lot of excellent work on microwave-assisted combination and microwave ore sorting, but separately, not as one continuous process as we have done. And when we have arcing, it's the breakdown of air. And the issue with this is that all that energy is now dissipated into one localized region inside of the cavity, and we're not going to be having uniform heating in our sample. So to address this, we uh, tried different strategies, one of which was to use fine powder to pack the trays, fill in the void spacing between the rocks. And this helped mitigate arcing, but did not completely prevent it from happening. Another counterintuitive approach is to actually increase the spacing between the rocks. And this allowed for lower throughput, but uh, more higher destruction uh, occurring in the rock. So there's going to be a trade-off between the power density uh, being very high for lower throughput of our material, but this is something that has to be investigated in more detail. And another challenge was actually the sample preparation, which is not one that we budgeted for going into the project. So the challenge was to find an ore, it had to be Canadian ore, and we needed to save a substantial amount of energy in comminution. So we tried many nickel copper sulfide ores, and these are shipped from everywhere throughout the country. And typically we would receive one to five tons of sample, but we did not have a rotary splitter to deal with very coarse rock. So our attenuation tunnel height was 63 and a half millimeters or two and a half inches. So we crushed all the rock to less than 63 and a half millimeters, processed it through a Gilson and put it into different size fractions. After this, uh, we needed to come up with a way to effectively sort this material in a timely fashion, but also in a representative manner. So we actually came up with a makeshift splitter, which is a hybrid between a riffle splitter and a cone and quartering system. So imagine, you know, a setup where we have four quadrants and we can dump a bucket of sample, uh, remove a trap door and have it fall into four quadrants and then simply combine the opposite buckets with one another. So this eliminated shoveling 
And this is just uh, one of the many challenges we face that we are able to uh, move past. Oh, fantastic. It's good to use ingenuity like that. So it sounds like that, that arcing is a significant issue. It sounds almost like when you leave a fork in the microwave that it starts to spark and go off. That doesn't sound like it would be it would be good in operations. So I guess looking ahead and maybe even looking at that, what what is the potential impact of microwave heating in the broader industry? What what do you think are the next steps in your research and development that should be explored to progress this further? So I think it's just a matter of time before we see MindSight's starting to adopt this technology. In fact, there's already a few companies exploring this, both in the past and present, for both uh, assisted comminution and also extractive metallurgy unit operations. Anglo-American and Rio Tinto have made significant headway in their respective projects. With regards to previous research, Russia and China have published heavily in this field, and there are numerous research and development endeavors ongoing. I see several papers uh, coming out every single week on uh, microwave-assisted comminution of rocks or ores. Uh, from SEPRO's side, our strategy is to continue our research and development program. So for the sorting side, we're interested in adding more sensors to our portfolio, such as the magnetic susceptibility and the connectivity of the materials, in addition to the already existing infrared, XRT, and XRF. We want to explore other ore types other than sulfide ores. One example is kimberlite ores, which is something that SEPRO is working on right now in partnership with academia and government entities. And then the, the next big step, of course, will be designing a demonstration unit, which has combined microacid comminution and ore sorting. And to do this, we're working with industry partners, academia, and the government to explore uh, both numerical modeling and machine learning and figuring out how we can develop these models and algorithms to improve our process. Our bench scale microwave heating database has grown from 42 ores from the paper up to 95 materials currently. So we believe that we are very competitive in this regard because we have the industrial backing and we also have the academic background and the materials to establish a database and figure out which ores are going to be optimal for microwave treatment. But putting everything together as one continuous process and getting that first mining company to have a demonstration unit is going to be the biggest challenge. That's fantastic that you've got 90 odd samples. That's that's brilliant. All with the mineralogy associated with it, like in the paper. So that's a great database that will be very useful for future work. And congratulations on winning the, the Crush It Challenge. What's the next steps for Crush It? Obviously, there's some additional funding that came there. What's the requirements on that? And is there what, what are the next steps? So the requirements were that the winning team from the Crush It Challenge would use the funding from the grand prize, which is $5 million Canadian, towards commercialization of their process in the mining industry. So Sepro's doing paid commercial test work for mining companies, and we're also doing our own research and development endeavors in parallel. So mining companies will send us their material, provide us with their problem, what is their objective, and we'll figure out a way to test the ore on the bench scale. And if it's promising results, then we move on to the pilot scale test work. So we're looking to partner with mining companies to have a demonstration unit installed on site 
and take the next step. Fantastic. Thanks for chatting to me about this, John, and congratulations on your achieving your PhD. And I look forward to hearing more from you in the future on Mikeways and all the other work that you're going to be doing. Thank you. Thank you very much, Grant. It's been great being able to discuss this with you. Thanks for listening. And we hope you found value and ideas from this episode. Your voice and advocacy can help us to expand conversations in eco-efficient mineral processing. So if you have enjoyed the podcast, please give us a positive rating or even write a quick review on Google or Apple iTunes. If you'd like to stay informed and involved, you can tap into free resources at our website, seekthefuture.org. That's C-E-E-C, thefuture.org. You can also subscribe to our regular Seek News, which features information on new podcasts, videos, and events. And to join our expanding group of advocates and sponsors, just email comms at seekthefuture.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at seekthefuture.org. Thank you, and we hope you'll join us for the next Seeking Change podcast.